I just want to say thanks again to GrowthDay.com for sponsoring this podcast. GrowthDay is a number one self-improvement system. It has all the tools, motivational classes, and life coaching you need to fulfill your potential. If you love journaling, tracking your habits, setting goals, and learning from inspiring motivational speakers and wellness coaches, then you'll love Growth Day. I teach on Growth Day every month, and I love to see you on the app. Go to growthday.com for a free trial. Join 300,000 people making self-improvement a way of life. Visit growthday.com to start your new life with a free trial today. What's up, rehabbers across the world? Welcome to Straight Up with Trent Shelton. Throughout my career, from the NFL to sold-out stages speaking to thousands, I built up a toolkit to break through negative mindsets, let go of what's holding you back, and start rehabbing your life. And every show is going to be jam-packed with tips, tricks, and tools to push you forward. I'm always going to be real with you and give you the 100% truth, even when it's going to pierce your heart. This is me, Trent Shelton, Straight Up. What's up, world? Trent Shelton here, Straight Up Podcast episode. I don't know actually what episode this would be, but it's a special episode because I have the one and only Mr. Dave Hollis in the building. What's up, man? What is up? Man, this is crazy. You're actually the first interview ever on the Straight Up Podcast. What? Yeah, you're first. Man, that's an honor. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. No problem, man. You have, um, you know, first of all, man, just how we met, like, um, it was at a mastermind, yeah, and we got off a plane. I don't know if we're on the same plane or not. We might have been. We met at the airport, but we're not coming from the same place. Okay, we yeah. Landed at about the same time. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. And we're introducing <laughs> ourselves in the like foyer of the airport, small airport in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And like, hey, I think I know you, <laughs> but I don't yet know you. And that was was that your like your first mastermind? Experience? That was the first time yeah, I'd ever too. been in one. And honestly, I came in. As with most things in my life, skeptical <laughs> of what I was walking into. Like, what is this? Me is too, there a man. hazing ritual? <laughs> Do we have to drink goat's blood? What, what is going on? It took like a on? long drive in the dark woods of Wyoming. We didn't know where we were going, man. It was crazy. But I think it was just divine for us to meet at that moment because, I mean, we actually had time to wait on the driver. We had time to talk um, and just kind of find out about you. And then from there, you know, grew a grip friendship, obviously, the podcast on the Hollis Company Network, um, spoken on the rise stages, and you have something big coming out, man, and um, I want you to let the listeners know about it. What do you have? I am excited. I have a book that's coming out. It is, in a crazy way, a thing that I thought I'd never do, uh, influenced by my wife, Rachel, who previously has written some you know books that are out in the universe, but my uh, my first book, Get Out of Your Own Way, A Skeptic's Guide to Growth and Fulfillment, drops on March 10. And it is, uh, it's me talking about the 20 things that I believe, the lies that I believe that kept me from my greatest self, that in shining a light of truth on them, making them unbelievable, helped me get out of my own way. And I wrote it through the lens of someone who has been skeptical of things like books about getting out of your own way. I wrote it through the lens of someone who's had a fixed mindset for the majority yeah. of my life. I wrote it through the lens of someone who's really, really struggled with motivation. I am extrinsically motivated, unlike my wife who wakes up with like <laughs> fire burning in her belly every single morning, right? Uh, and so as a person who has 
grown up as a man through the lens of some masculinity stuff, who's grown up as a father of, of four kids, who uh, had a job that meant certain things inside of a different industry and has now pursued impact and work with my, with my wife and best friend. Uh, it's been amazing and hard. It's come with me having to confront a bunch of things that I didn't expect a need to confront in this weird bridge between 30 and 40 when I started asking a bigger side of questions around why I was on this planet and what it might mean to fully utilize the potential that I was given. You know, one thing that I, that I, that I want to be just even straight up about on, the, on this episode is you working at Disney, right? And what was your title? I was the president of distribution, the head of sales for the movie studio. Okay. And so like, what is, what is that? What, what, what is that? What do you do for that? So, uh, yeah. So in, in working in the Walt Disney company, the collection of brands that Disney has, yeah. Pixar, Marvel Studios, oh, wow. Lucasfilm, Disney. I was the person leading the teams around the world to put movies into theaters. Wow. So Star Wars and Avengers and, you know, like so anything. You was the man. I, well, <laughs> <laughs> to the outside, here's the thing, to the outside world, truly there was, there was something about this title there was something about the access, the carpets, the academy, the things that that title came with yeah. that were absolutely like the optics of that role. And even me as a like 10 years earlier version of myself dreaming of what it might mean to get to that role, whoo, I'd placed value on it and mm. I thought that there would be things in me being affirmed in reaching some of that status or that level that... In a strange way, in getting there, uh, I found the opposite to be true. And truly, like my journey from where I was to where I am, leaving what I knew for what I needed, came out of this place where the things I thought that would fulfill me didn't. And in the hunt to find fulfillment, found me chasing growth, which meant leaving things that made me comfortable. Man, you know, I can relate to that just with my football journey, you know, because I thought that was the Mecca of everything, right? That sure. was, that was my everything. When I got there, I thought I would be fulfilled and I wasn't. And I think it, and I don't even know if you talk about this in the book or not. I'm sure you do in some point or some fashion for me, it left almost a sour taste of success in my mouth because if I'm getting to the highest success I ever could ever dream of, and I'm still unfulfilled, it's like, wow, is success this bad thing. And so how did you step away from that? Like, what was the journey of you finding you know, your identity, you know, outside of that, because I'm sure that was a struggle moving from there to an unknown space that was pretty much a risk, you know, because yeah. I don't think, you know, the the books and everything, they weren't selling like that, right? Not the, the book that really changed a lot of things for our company in our lives was Girl, Wash Your Face, and it had not yet come out when we made the decision to do this. And so uh, in, a, in, a, in a lot of ways, I had to face the leverage of what not taking action might mean for my life, mm. right? Yeah. I was in a place where I could not imagine going to a cocktail party and not introducing myself as a person who worked at the Walt Disney Company, as a person who was the head of sales. That identity for me afforded me value. It affirmed me. It made me enough and worthy in the eyes of whoever I was having a conversation with, even though that identity in real time was something that I wasn't feeling fulfilled through. Right. And in the disconnect between what I was hoping to elicit from some stranger at a cocktail party and the way I felt when I put my head on the pillow at night, that the distance, the, the dissonance between who I was 
telling people I was or pretending to be and who I knew myself to be was pain, was, was underfulfilled me. And I, in like that state, was withdrawing from showing up for my life, right? So I was becoming a lesser version of my being a husband that my wife deserved. I was being a lesser version of who the four kids that I have deserved as a dad and, and truly like was looking in the mirror, not feeling pride for the way I was showing up for my life. And so I painted a picture of what would it feel like, I was around 40 when this is all happening, 20 years from now, for me to sit at a table with my now adult children and have them raise a glass to my having fully lived into the potential that God's given me to fully chase growth and be fulfilled and show up well for my life or the converse. What if some of my kids didn't want to come to the dinner? What if they did come but didn't have anything to say? What if the only thing they could say is that I stayed connected to an identity that made sense to the world but not to the passion inside of my heart? And that leverage, whoo, that was the catalyst for needing to take some action. You know, there's a quote uh, actually by Nipsey Hussle, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but he he had said something that struck, I mean, I, I think what you're saying, and like it articulates this, this uh, beautiful, in a beautiful way. He said, you know, I would rather be at peace with myself and at war with the world than vice versa. And I, I, I would, you know, basically... At the end of the day, I'd rather be true to myself and find that fulfillment because there's people listening to this right now. I can guarantee you um, that are thinking that if I had this, then mm-hmm. my life will be OK. If I had this many followers, I have this title, if I had this much money, then I will be fulfilled. And the thing that I tell people is that you might be happy for a little bit. It might provide some comfort emotionally, but fulfillment to me works off of not what you have in your life, but what you have in your heart. And I think that's the journey that you went on. So you had to break yourself down. So what's, I guess, even like now, right? Because I always like to go into the now. I know a lot of times we talk about our past Mm -hmm. and what happened. What's something now um, that might be, you know, something that's getting in your way right now that you deal with? I mean, I am a pragmatic, practical person. Yeah. Now, it is a superpower that when combined with the visionary creator world of my wife's mind, when you put those two things together, man, it's fire. We are, we are a great pair because of our um, superpowers hopefully amplifying each other's and limiting the weaknesses that each of those create. But my weakness in my pragmatism is that I still get frightened by the audacity of my wife's vision for the future of our company. Right. Right. So she will start a sentence with, I have an idea. Right. And that is boom. It's like an, it, right? it's an immediate trigger for me as a practical, pragmatic person to try and like understand how yeah. we're going to approach the what. Right. And it does no service to her greatest gift, which is just thinking about things that other people don't think about and how to create value and afford people tools that might themselves get get themselves out of their own way and so I've had to really try and work on not letting fear of the unknown fear of how things might change and us pursuing this calling might you know like I, I would I, I have always stayed connected to certainty and 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 knowing what was going to happen at the expense of some of things that have now produced the greatest growth and the, this tie that exists between growth and fulfillment for me has been the answer in the last couple of years of getting unstuck. 
But man, I still have this default that sometimes has me coming back to that safety, that security, the knowns of the knowns right. at the expense of growing. And so I got to fight it every day when we have a big idea, when I find myself speaking on a stage that I haven't spoken on before, writing this book, a massive trigger because I'm sharing a bunch of stories that most people maybe wouldn't be as honest about. Right. And I think part of why it will be an effective tool for people who are also stuck is, man, the relatability of the universal nature of struggle. But it still takes me away from that, that certainty, that security, that safety that I knew in a world where I was managing optics and managing expectations and connected to things that I knew instead of pushing myself into places I didn't know. All of the good, all of the growth in my life has come in leaving safety and security but I still have to fight the, the, the reflex that sometimes sends me back to that place. And I'm, I'm always interested when it comes to fear, like for different people, what pulls you out of fear, right? What pulls you into going to do something that's a risk, going to do something that you've never done before, going to throw a big conference that y'all never did before? Like what pulls you out of that fear to say, you know what, pulls you out of fear and into confidence? Is it something that you do or is it? For me, for me truly, it has been finding the things that scare me, and forcing myself into a scenario to show my brain yeah. that it is not real, right? Yeah. What, are the, what are the things that I've associated as being fearful about? Can I, in just toe dipping, can rewire the, the, the reality of, oh, no, 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 this isn't going to kill me. It's not going to hurt me. It's not actually as scary. We went to Six Flags. Yeah, I saw it. Town, I right? saw it. So I saw it. I have a 13-year-old son. He has a birthday. We go to Six Flags. And... I am not a I'm not a theme park person. I'm like super motion sensitive. I get car sick like the like immediately. I am terrified of heights. Just have been my entire life. And in this world of pushing myself into spots where I can challenge my fears, you know, my wife is crazy motivational in this respect. She we're driving down. She's like, I'm gonna ride some rides that I wouldn't normally ride just to show my brain that I can do things I don't want to do. And I was like, I'm in. So I found the tallest attraction, I found the fastest attraction, and I, I was the only one, uh, one of my kids went with me, that went up on this like, you know, 20 story, 50 story, whatever it is, this thing that drops, dro right? just drops you yeah. straight down. <laughs> I did not want to do it, right? I'm frightened of anything that takes me up high like that. But I decided to do it to show myself that I can do things that I don't want to do, and I can do things that make me scared. And in doing it, it's rewiring the way that I approach fear generally. Um, one of the other things too is, I mean, I've, I've really embraced pushing myself physically to change the way I think about my ability to push myself mentally, push myself yeah. emotionally, right? We had this crazy experience of climbing this mountain, climbed <laughs> up and down this mountain a whole bunch of times to do this thing called Eversting. And in doing that, it reframed the capacity I believe I have physically, but also because of how mental it was to push past physical thresholds, change the way I think about what I can do mentally. Well, I come out of that experience and I'm running longer distance. I'm running a marathon here in two seconds. Like I was not a runner forever and ever. I had blocks about what it could mean for me as a tall human being to be a runner because of people telling me through the lens of their fear, what I could or couldn't do. And I, I believe that story. I adopted that story. I started challenging that story. And now that I've pushed myself to run 22, 26 miles at one time, it's as physical as it is mental, but pushing through some of the physical challenges, it's completely changed the way I think about taking on things mentally. 
man, and it, it, it expands that bandwidth, right? Oh, in your yeah. brain. And it's always leveraged because you can go back to it. So the thing that I did, because I was afraid of heights, I went skydiving. There right? it is. Have you been? Have you done I it? have not been skydiving. It, it sounds terrible. We have to do it. Now we, we have, have to, to do, do it. it now. It's terrible. And now we have to we do have it. We have to do it now. And it literally, it changed everything because now when I feel fear, I always go back to that, you know, just like that. So I think that's a great example. Question. Um, with you doing everything that you do, right? Uh, running a company, writing books, uh, traveling, book tour. How does Dave Hollis find balance? Or do you feel like it's even possible to find yeah, I, I write about it in the book. I, I, I think balance is in and of itself a bit of a legend. It's like a Bigfoot, a Loch Ness monster kind of thing. Perpetual pursuit. Like people have rumored that they've seen it and it's just elusive and has never found. I've focused more on being centered because yeah. the life that we are pursuing, one that is you know full of impact and full of all of the opportunities that they present, that presents to us, means that seasonally there are spikes and peaks and valleys of what we have to do, whether it's being on the road, showing up better for our team, scaling or launching, whatever it is. And if you can create a set of habits and daily routines, practices like a weekly date night or a front-loading exercise around planning out your calendar so that there aren't surprises for who's handling what in a super complicated world, then you can handle whatever life throws your way. Yeah. If you don't do that and you just hope, you know what, hey, I'm going to find balance. I'm going to make the right kind of choices for what I'm putting in my body, eating or drinking wise. I'm going to find the right way to connect with the people I love the most. Life will not bend to your hope. You know, you have to schedule, plan, have a developed set of habits and routines to, as life decides to come around the corner, kicking the shins or as things get more hectic, um, just keeps you centered in a way that allows you to, in seasons of uh, high, high, you know, crazy chaos, lets you survive it in a way that, you know, when it starts to slow down, you can be as energetic and back to like in community with and loving the people that you love. But I, I don't think there's such a thing as balance. I hope people listening to this or watching this get that because yeah. that's the question that I get a lot. And I always say, like, I don't think you can find balance in a unbalanced world and people look at me crazy there's like no you can't find balance and you know I, I say it in a different way but it's just like that it's like being present in those moments right so when I'm with my kids and having a third child now is like added a lot more I didn't even realize I'm like wow like it's a lot more on my plate now yeah and so um I'm glad you shared that because I think people spend a lot of their life especially when they're growing as an entrepreneur or growing their business or you know just going for their dreams they're sitting there trying to find balance and I think that's a journey that that ends in impossibility, honestly. Yeah. I will say, you know, as a dad of four kids, my intentionality in connecting with them one-on-one -on -one has been an extraordinary producer of fruit because they are each so individually different in their tastes, in the things that they like to do. I have an oldest son who's into theater. I have a middle son who's into baseball. I have a youngest son who's an outdoors person, Boy Scout, Cub Scout. I have a three-year-old daughter who's a like monster in real time because she's young. But right, my ability to connect and meet my kids in the places where they have the most personal passion instead of universally trying to represent something to all of them as a dad uh, has made a big, big difference. And focusing on the kind of routine and ritual that really matters to us in connecting, having a set time for dinner, creating boundaries with technology, 
forcing ourselves outside during the weekend so that we can actually do stuff that requires a little vitamin D, a little time to like move our bodies. That's been as important too. And as far as our relationship with, you know, Rachel, my wife and I, we are crazy about every single week having a date night. I mean, it's just set in stone and we work together. So there are days where we love each other more than we like each other. Right. And we are still going on a date because maintaining that as a priority in a life that sometimes will distract us from having uh, our relationship a priority, we have to keep it a priority and our calendar is something that reflects that. Yeah, Maria, uh, she brought up, Maria's my wife. Um, you guys don't know, most of you know, but uh, she brought up something. I, I want to say it's from Rachel's book uh, about doing something every single day. I let people use their imagination of what that is every single day that y'all <laughs> did. And she was like, I want to do that from March. I'm like, all right, let's do it. You know, and she's like, it just... I guess she read that and Rachel was talking about how it just changed the, the landscape of you guys' relationship and things like that. Physical intimacy, and it does, it's not exclusive to what happens in the bedroom, but like right. intimacy generally is yeah. a thing that you have to first agree on as a couple that is a value in your relationship. But then in having agreed to it, you have to actually practice it. And it might mean that you just, you know, say something sweet in the morning or you're texting through the day or you have a standing date night or you're committing to doing things extracurricular after hours, right? (laughs) When we were stuck in that department, yeah, we committed to doing that every day for a month and it was great and weird and hard, but (laughs) awesome, right? In us connecting and um, you can't, again, this is like, you can't just hope that you're going to have the intimacy or the the kind of exceptional relationship that you want, you have to plan for it. And there are times certainly where in life that maybe takes some of the spontaneity out of, you know, what normally or at the beginning of your relationship maybe felt a little more spontaneous. But when you get a third kid, when you have four kids, (laughs) you can't hope that spontaneous opportunities for romance show up. Sometimes you got to plan them. Yeah, you do. For sure. For sure. For sure. (laughs) We're finding that out big time, you know, with the, with Marley, the new baby and everything like that. So, um, few more questions I got for you. Um, one, and this might seem like a weird question, but what would like, what's your favorite lie in the book? Right. Or what, what is that lie that maybe led to your biggest breakthrough? I mean, I'm sure you have the whole book obviously, but like, is there one lie that you were telling yourself that you stopped telling yourself that literally was that brought contagiousness of change throughout your life? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest, the biggest one or the first one to deconstruct is the lie that everyone is thinking about what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Because so many of us, like it's, there's ego, there's some vanity, there's some self image. Like it depends on this belief, this conceit that everyone is paying attention to what you're doing in, in a way that gives you value or makes you feel a certain way about yourself. But it is the biggest barrier to pursuing the possibility for growth that requires failure, right? Yeah. Like people won't put themselves into situations that they have not previously had success in because of the worry of being judged by other people that are not watching what they're doing, yeah. right? No one is thinking about what you're doing. And I say that with every ounce of respect to your ego and in no way, you know, in no way am I looking to indict the people that you love the most, right? But they are like you, human. Right. And we as humans, universally, are interested first and foremost in ourselves. That's just humanity, right? It's not a bad thing. It's just a reality of life. And when you can recognize that 
At a minimum, 85% of the people that are inside of your life that you've afforded some weight of their opinion are legitimately not paying attention to you at all. That 10% of people maybe are paying attention, but their attention is connected to their own insecurity, the way that your pursuit of something bigger maybe triggers their inaction. Yeah. Perfect. Now you're only talking about 5%. Like if there's just truly 5% of the people who are legitimately concerned about or interested in the things that you're doing, if they have a problem with something that you're doing, it may be that they don't understand your why. It may be that they are concerned but are like representing their concern through a lens of fear that doesn't have as much information as you might about how certain or sure you are of the outcome. But when you can get to a place where you can deconstruct and be free from the worry of what other people are thinking, oh, man. now you can pursue growth. Now you can see failure is for you. Now you're, you, can, you can do so many of the things, right? So many of the lies end up having a little bit of the worry of what other people kind of sprinkled within. So if you can like start with that one, that's a big one. The one that was the hardest to write, you did not ask this question. Well, I'm going to just yeah, answer go it ahead. because this, this is like, I had a lot of shame in this and it is now in owning my story becomes such a point of pride that I want to challenge you if you're listening and there's a part of your story that you are like a part of your struggle that in some way you still are like living inside of shame around yeah. my ability to take ownership of this lie. A drink will make it better has given me so much power. And, and I will say I had a casual relationship with alcohol for the majority of my life. A couple drinks after work, a drink here, drink there. And when we decided to really push into and pursue this work, start doing this work together, scale the team, write this book, the stacking of all these things on the back end of massive identity change and leaving Disney had me reaching for a drink to mute some of the anxiety, some of the fear, yeah. some of the imposter syndrome. And when I had to confront this, hey, this is tipped from casual to something else, it was hard and shameful and in really understanding how this negative coping mechanism was being deployed there, there isn't in a, in, a, in a thing like drinking anything to like it being a local anesthetic you can't yeah. have a drink and have it just take care of your anxiety but still afford you the fruit of growth you can't have it mute the pain and not mute the joy and so my recognizing man I made all this life change. I moved my family. I left my job to do this work for the benefit of growth because I know the tie between growth and fulfillment. And now that I'm experiencing this growth, I'm out on this open water. I'm feeling the splash of these crazy waves that are actually producing growth. I am taking a drink to reduce the impact of the waves. And in reducing the impact of the waves, eliminating the growth that I was in pursuit of to begin with. Yeah. So... I had to find a different coping mechanism. For me, I put down the bottle, I started running. I picked up my shoes. Mm -hmm. And running for me was a really effective, super cathartic, kind of like therapy expression of my processing, ooh, this feels overwhelming. And processing, whoa, there's a little anxiety. Processing, ah, I'm insecure about whether I can pull this off. But eight miles into a run, I'd worked through a bunch of stuff that left me available to the benefits of growth without a hangover, available to the benefits of the learning that was coming through my failing forward in a way that I could apply and use to continue my pursuit. So 
Um, if you've got a story of struggle, my owning it, my, my, my willingness now to talk openly about it and turning it into a, like a, a piece of power, man, I feel, I haven't, I haven't had a drink in almost a year, but I've also in like just recognizing the universal nature of struggle, been able to connect with people on so many more levels because of how universal it is to just acknowledge that all of us are going through things. And sometimes when we're going through things, we reach for things that don't serve the outcome we're looking for. Absolutely. Like there's a few things I want to touch on with that because first of all, thanks for sharing that, you know, thanks for writing that because I always say we need more of that vulnerability because that's what people relate to. So I really appreciate you for that. I appreciate you for who you are in general because you're always like that, you know, on camera, off camera, on stage, off stage and truly appreciate it. And the thing that that I that I've tried to help people understand, because I went through my battles also. And a lot of times, you know, we can call it addiction or we can use another word, but people think that the feeling is wrong, right? You're going to go through anxiety. You're going to battle depression at times. And depression is not something where, you know, that you just sit in your house all day. It could be the simplest things. And it's about what you do uh, with that emotion. And a lot of times I turn to drinking. I turn to going out. I turn to smoking. I turn to all these things to numb the pain. But once the pain, uh, once those things were off, it's a temporary healing, mm-hmm. right? The problem was still there. And so I want to tell people out there, as Dave was just telling you, you know, he put down the drink and picked up his running shoes. And by the way, you're probably, and I'm not just trying to toot your own horn because you're on the podcast, but it's true, bro. Like when I see you running, you inspire me. Like seriously. Oh, I, and I'm not just saying that. I mean, I've told you that before. I'm like, man, Dave is out there getting it. And I mean, we ran a half marathon together and you're about to run a full marathon. And so uh, people listening to this, like when you're going through these emotions, um, I used to, I still do call them this, but I call them fire escapes or emergency exits. You know, when you're on the plane or when you're in a building, if something like I'm always checking out, like where the exit sign is, because something happens, I know exactly where to go. And with your life, you should have these things like, okay, if I'm feeling this, if I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling depressed. What are the things I'm going to turn to that's going to help me and better me and By yours the, is running man i'll tell you what too just because i found a healthier coping mechanism it didn't mean the triggers went down exactly right like the triggers of your life will exist and 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 to be even more transparent my pushing and pursuing a life of this greater calling and this want for even greater impact has introduced more triggers because of my willingness to push into places that i have never previously been as a result my dependence on a healthy coping mechanism has been higher than ever. Yeah. In this year that I haven't had a drink, I have run 900 miles. Like Gosh, I have been, that. right? I've been on the road, but I, I'm, pre, I'm able to preempt, right? Like, and, and if you're listening, like your triggers are going to exist, but your ability to have something that you can turn to, it might be music, right? You get a funk feeling and immediately if you can turn on a, a song that just jars you into a different state, you've preempted heading down the rabbit hole. It might be that you need to move, change your environment, right? You just move from one room to the next. You might need to do a quick affirmation. You might need to say a prayer, but like know what your thing is because the triggers are going to come. It's having your escape hatch. Right. It's having your fire escape at the ready so that you can, before you find yourself being led by your negative self-talk, led by your negative coping mechanisms, you can preempt it. And that, by the way, it's not always easy to want to jump up and do a dance when you start to feel a funk. Yeah. But <laughs> if it's effective, you better turn on Gangster's Paradise and dance. You know, like, I, I don't know what your song is, but like, if you've got a song, it doesn't matter if it makes sense to anybody else, put that song on. Why do you think we talked about this backstage briefly um, at the last Rise conference? I don't know if you remember, but I was I was asking you like, 
why why do you feel like and maybe you can just answer from a personal uh, perspective but why do you feel like we as people don't do what we know is going to change our mood like right listen to a podcast i even have this problem like i know that if i get in the car i turn to a podcast or i listen to something it's going to change my mood but sometimes i have resistance to do it so like do you have any insight on that like maybe with you like doing something that uh maybe is reading a book or listening to a podcast or doing a dance that you don't want to do like what pulls you to actually do it so I think the reason why we don't is yeah. truly just muscle memory. Yeah. Like, right? I think either you've been raised to believe something that keeps you skeptical of the, you know, benefits of doing it, or you're just not motivated to do it, which right. I can relate to, man. I am not motivated a lot of times. The thing that has pushed me into a posture of deciding to do things I don't want to do has been a very simple math equation in my life. It's I call it the if-then statement. If I want this in my life, if I want an exceptional relationship, then I need to be in active pursuit of my wife every single day. I like okay? that. Okay? So if, if the if is true, the then has to be true. What am I doing today to be in active pursuit of my wife? If I want to be an exceptionally present father, then I need to connect individually with my kids without technology. Mm-hmm. Okay? So like, I get really specific with what the then statement is. When it comes to like me getting out in the garage gym in the morning, I don't want to go out there most mornings. I go out, I'm at like 5.30 or so every single morning I go out there. And I do it because my if-then statement about my physical conditioning is about if I want to go on a 21-city book tour, if I want to go on a USO tour, if I want to do six rise stages, if I want to do 12 months of coaching, then I have to have the physical conditioning to actually show up and pour into these people who are showing up for me. And, and the thing is, if you're listening, you're like, man, I don't want to commit to getting up at 5.30 in the morning. I respect that, right? Like you may have put a higher priority on streaming your show on Netflix the night before that doesn't afford you the ability to wake up in the morning. That is cool. I mean, like if that's what you've chosen, that's okay. But you can't expect that you're going to have the conditioning to stand on as many stages or show up as well for the people that you love because you've prioritized staying up late and watching TV or watching something on the computer over getting up and moving your body in a way that might afford you the ability to show up better for them. There's a, it's a trade-off. And yeah. I make, again, I make no judgment because there were plenty of years in my life where my priority was Netflix and chill over physically fit and capable of showing up well for a community of people around the world. I've just chose the latter, which means now I got to go to bed at nine o'clock every single night, every night, every (laughs) single night, try to get a makeout session with my wife before nine o'clock, but dang it by 9 PM lights out. I got to be in, I got to be asleep because I'm starting my day. My morning routine starts at five. I'm in the gym by five 30. If I don't get it, I can't have the day that I want. Yeah. I think, you know, having something you want so big, you know, it makes the sacrifice worth it. And that's the thing. Most people want success without sacrifice, right? They want the, they want the platform without paying the price. And one of the things that you talked about that I use a lot is that leverage, right? It's the leverage in my life. And bro, I go crazy with it. Like even when I'm running, like, I'm like, man, if I stop running this, I know it might not relate to everybody. I'm like, if I stop running, you know, my kids are going to whatever. And it just, it motivates me to keep going. So I would challenge everybody listening to find that leverage, you know, to find those things that's going to push you. The if then, I think that's beautiful. I, I, I say too with leverage because people are wired one of two ways. Either you're wired 
at chasing with leverage the possibility of what's possible if, right? So you could be a person who can paint a beautiful picture of what your life will look like when, and that is motivating to you, and you get up every day and you wanna chase after it because you can see yourself driving that car to that job, providing for your family in that way, taking the vacations. If you can see that picture, you get motivated by it. I am not that person. I am pain. Yeah. 100%, a <laughs> hundred times out of a hundred. If I choose to stay stuck, if I choose to not show up, if I choose to underutilize my potential, then I will become this person that when I am by myself falling asleep at night, will know that there's disconnect from who I could have been. Like I went on this three day trip to the desert recently which, man, even if you can get five hours away from your regular life, I cannot recommend enough taking a little bit of time to just get clear on, one, what's in your head, what are you thinking, two, where are you going, and three, what it'll take to get there. But I, I really sat and tried first before I did any of the work to look back on the last two years and ask every time I felt pain, was there something that was consistently there that now that I am identifying it, maybe can avoid in the, in the like way that I approach my life going forward? And every time, the thing that existed when I was experiencing pain was dissonance, a disconnect. There was inconsistency between who I told people I wanted to be, who I was, who I was representing through things on social or what I was telling people because of a job title and who I knew myself to be when I was by myself. Yeah. The, the disconnect, the delta, the dissonance that existed between that image that I was portraying and who I actually was, was shame, was pain, was insecurity, and closing that gap is, is wildly motivating to me because of my knowing that it will eliminate all of those things. Do you feel that's connected to imposter syndrome somewhat? For yeah. sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, I left this 20-year or so career inside of entertainment to come do this work that we're doing now in our company. And I had all these qualifications, but because my experience wasn't, like, totally practically applicable... I suffered a bit from it when I came into what was a small skunk works, let's you know, start with the startup kind of mentality role. And it's one, totally normal in human nature, but two, because I'd been representing kind of what I was and who I was, and some of the things were disconnected from who I actually was, who I actually knew myself to be, it provokes this feeling, it provokes this response. The more you can create alignment between who you say you are or who you say you want to be and who you actually know yourself to be because of the work, because of the habits, because of the routines, because of how you're showing up consistently in a way that aligns with what you've represented to be your personal values, or your personal brand, that consistency for me is what keeps me feeling whole feeling good about who I am because it's, you know, consistent with what I've told people. Going on that journey of, of knowing yourself, you know, that's, that's what I've been on probably the last, probably the last year. You know, people ask like, what's your goal? And I just, I want to know myself better. And I think so many times, you know, uh, we don't spend enough time with ourselves. Right. And we say, Oh, you know, I, I know who I am, but do you really know who you are? So I think that's beautiful. And um, as we we're actually in Puerto Rico right now, so it's amazing. Right. It's <laughs> yes, like the it oceans is. right there. Yes, it is. But as we wrap this up, um, the question I want to ask you is, 
So there's people out there who know who you are. There's people out there that are getting in their own way. That's that that's going to you know pick up this book just because of that. But what about the people that were skeptical like you? Yeah. Right. I don't need that. I'm not in my own way. Um, I don't need this in my life. I'm good. Why do they need this book? Well, I write it through this lens of skepticism in part because I want to meet you where you are. Yeah. I, I am you. I was you. I'm still working actively to move from a skeptic's mind to a believer's mind. I had the benefit of my partner, best friend in life, being a super believer in the power of investing in self, of as you develop and grow and having growth as a like number one commodity in her life, I saw her evolve, emerge, become while I was stuck. And it took quite a lot of time, me watching her use these tools, make her life better to finally see it as a trail of breadcrumbs. And if anything, I hope I've written this in a way that respects your skeptical point of view, that through the use of humor and some really, really honest storytelling invites you to come along a journey that I wish I'd been afforded the opportunity to take years ago. Because honestly, I wasted a lot of time not using the tools that exist. And if I'd just been afforded that chance, I would have gotten out of my way a ton of time ago. I think most of the stories inside of this book, whether you're a man or a woman, working out of the home or in the home, young or old, there is relatability to the universal nature of struggle. And the sooner we can have an honest conversation about the things that we all struggle with, normalize that struggle and provide a set of tools to help you get out of your own way, you'll get there a lot faster. That's beautiful. Where can they find it? And when does it come out? It comes out March 10th. You can find it literally anywhere that books are sold. Uh, if you end up uh, grabbing it, uh, man, tag me. I want to like come back at you on social yeah. and thank you for having supported the book. Uh, it is of a storied career that existed prior to writing this book. 100% the proudest accomplishment of my entire career. I am so I'm, I'm wildly excited about the fact that it's coming out and I appreciate the chance to come on here to talk about it. Man, so. I appreciate you, man. And right hey, on. go get the book, get out your own way by Dave Hollis. Follow him on socials, everything. And like I always tell you, it all starts with you. It's rehab time, straight up. Appreciate you, bro. Let's go. Thanks, bro. Hey, I want to make sure you got my phone number. Like, for real, for real. No kidding. Did you even know that I have a community text number? And if you don't, where have you been? So go ahead, take out your pen and paper, take out your phone, and write this number down. My phone number is 817-242-2719. Yep, I'm going to repeat it for you. 817-242-2719. People always ask, Trent, how did you get that community text number and how does it work? Well, today's your lucky day. Go to community.com and go get your own. Community makes it easy to get a phone number that you can use to build your audience using texting. People just text you at the number. They're added to the group. And then you can text them out audios, video links, anything you want. Like you already know, I text out podcast links, random things about life. I text out surprises, all the things that I don't post anywhere else except my rehabber text community. Texting gets me out of the noise of social media and directly to you. And guess what? Now you can start texting your people too. Just go to community.com to get your number. They'll give you a 10-digit real phone number. Not those weird short codes that look like spam, but it's more than just a number, y'all. Your new number comes with an inbox for SMS texting. 
This means you can actually manage your text links from your community and an app on your phone. You can schedule texts at certain times to certain groups. It even comes with auto replies, so many things. Just go to community.com and ask for a free demo. They'll show you how it works and get you your phone number. It's time to start texting your audience versus just posting on social media. Everyone uses community for just that. So go to check them out at community.com. That's community.com. Let's get it. Hey, you, I got a question for you. Are you trying to build your community online this year? If not, you should. Without the rehabbers across the world, there will be no trend show in the rehab time. Everyone in business is talking about the power of community because when you get community right, not only does your audience grow faster, but so does your sales. But where is everyone managing their communities these days? A lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to Circle.so. Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content, create discussions, live streams, group chats, memberships, all under your own brand. And what's cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or a Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked or unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. You can put your content behind a paywall, too, and you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use, and it has its 14-day trial free just for you. Go to circle.so. Imagine being able to manage your community, start chat groups and live classes, accept payments, all in one place. If this is the year to capture organize, and monetize your community, head over to circle.so. You can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. Let's get it.